0: Hi, everyone. A bit of a special episode here. Uh, Since COVID shut down, it's been quite hard to get these obscure famous artists into the studio. So we apologize for the delay over the past um, 12 months, but we've developed a workaround using some new technology that's come to our attention called Zoom, which is a sort of phone call, except it's not very good. So some of the audio quality may suffer a bit, but overall, I think we can listen through the medium and enjoy the content. So... Thanks very much. Obscure Music History is a podcast exploring the ongoing anthology of b-sides and rarities of unpopular music. I'm your host, Tom Hogan. This episode, experimental contemporary classical composer, Tracy Orr, and her work, Therefore I'm Not. Okay, let me just, um... Oh, whoops, uh, wrong program, hang on. Just go to Zoom, click dial. Okay, no sound effects. Alright, well that's not too helpful for podcasts. Oh, here she is. <clears throat> hello. Uh hello, is that is that Tracy? Yep, I'm here. Hello. It's Tom Hogan from the podcast uh, obscure music history. Mm-hmm. Sorry, you're just breaking up there. I, can't, I couldn't hear your reply. No, I, I didn't say anything. There we go. You're back now. Um, thank you so much for doing this, Tracy. I know it's a bit unorthodox, but I think our listeners will really appreciate it. Uh, I just wanted to ask you a few questions about your series of infamous works, Therefore I'm Not. No, Yes. Um, yeah, everyone always wants to know about it, Therefore I'm Not. Yeah, I, I think it's... I think okay, it's well, one those... I mean, let's do it. Um, it How's the quality of the call? No, it's great. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. Cool. It, yeah. Occasionally, it's a bit of it's a bit of graininess, but it's pretty good. Okay. Uh, all right. Well, um, what do you want to know? I mean, like, I just feel like people are always like throwing things around about this work, so it's just good to sort of clear it up. I mean, that's the thing, right? It's like one of the most well-known series, but it's probably the most misunderstood. Mm. Mm. Well, I think most of our listeners are already aware of you and your work, Tracy. So um, maybe you could explain just how you came to your unique composing and performance style. Well, when you're young and you're learning how to play piano, you learn all about the notes. It's all crotchet this and semi-breathe that. And as you progress as a composer or a player, you learn that the ref, that is the notes that you don't play, the silences, are just as important as the notes that you do hear. So understanding silences is a sign of maturity. So in that sense, I'm the most mature musician of all time. And it's out of that maturity that I developed my performance style, which I call selective playing. Well, I've always found selective playing is more um, democratic, perhaps compared to more traditional styles yeah but maybe maybe more simply selective playing involves a respect for the performer So, without the performer the composer is nothing just a scribbler of non-tangible ideas doodling sounds that will never exist that is until the performer enters the room in the classical realm only a few aspects of a piece are up to the performer right like interpretations of dynamics or trill speeds for example but, but really, if these are in control of the performer, why not other aspects of composition? And that's what I'm investigating, the power relationship between composer and performer. I think most of the great composers, say Bach or Mozart or Aguilera, tend to enforce their creative ideas upon the musicians who play the work. Yeah. I mean, traditionally, I compare them to totalitarian regimes. Well, it's not their fault, of course. It's the system. It's a system that says... I'm a composer, I'm a god, and musicians are simply there to do my bidding. Like musicians, it says, are shit. So, I mean, can you name a single viola player? No. Timpani? No. Bass? None. But you know all the composers and even their middle names. Hmm. Sebastian, Amadeus and Maria, of course. This is the problem, you see. The composers cast a shadow that no musician can escape from, even though today's musicians are spectacular in comparison. And so you're saying your technique of selective playing is, is more... It's, it's... Well, the goal then of selective playing is is to completely remove the composer as such from the musical process to give power back to the performer. Simply put, I'd place the score on the piano and then selectively choose which notes to play, rather than have the tyrannical power of the composer telling you what to do. I have a recording here of your earliest rendition of Therefore I'm Not, actually. Um, I'll just play it now for our listeners and see if it brings back any memories. Oh, certainly. Here we go. It's from the vinyl, so uh, just give me a moment. And here. We don't have time to listen to the whole thing, (laughs) obviously, but um, Tracy, just from those opening bars, uh, what does it conjure up for you? Freedom, really. Truth. It's that simple. It's more of an artistic movement, a process. So I began to apply this technique to a lot of material. Um, A few years later, if you remember, I recorded the exact same piece on guitar. Oh, yeah. I actually have that here on cassette. Um, Let me just, um, yes, yeah. Tracy, it strikes me that well, what's so amazing and so so potent in these early recordings is the musical potential of each piece. Uh, like every moment of not playing a note emphasizes every possible note that could be played, but isn't. Exactly. Exactly. You see, anyone can play a note. A lot of people do. So many people, in fact, that it, it, well, it's much harder to find someone who's never played a note. So, I consider not playing a note as something much more powerful. There's so much tension in hearing exactly what notes I refuse to articulate. In 1962, I commissioned a world-famous composer Brie McPlonk to write a piece for me. And Brie, uh, she's amazing, she spent six months putting together an amazing score for me to not play. I actually have the score here, Tracy, which has only um, just recently come to my possession. Um, I don't think many listeners realise just how dense and complicated this score actually looks. Oh, It is astonishing. There's hardly any space left on the paper to put in any more notes. Um, I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes just so anyone can check it out. I mean, that's one thing that I found disappointing about the whole thing. I would have preferred that she filled it up even more, but she is the composer after all, and I have to respect that. I mean, I don't think she, she didn't know about my performance style. Like That was a thing that I was developing privately. So I, I think it came as a bit of a surprise. Well, as I understand it, uh, McPlonk wasn't a fan of your rendition. Well, well, actually, McPlonk wrote a letter to me after the first performance of it. A letter? Yeah, it's um it's just like Zoom, except instead of video data sent over the internet, it's a piece of paper with words on it. Let me just um You have the letter there? I- I'd love to hear it. Well that's the thing about letters, they they don't make sounds themselves. You have to you read it out loud. Okay, interesting. Well perhaps you could read it out loud to me now. Oh of course. Um, hmm how's my um how's the zoom quality or just my signals? Oh it's actually been you know, great fading out from the story, man. yeah, we'll just I think okay up for it. just okay. go on. Okay, well it's, this says um Dear Tracy regarding last week premiere performance of therefore I'm not. Um, I'd like to say a big old fuck you, you piece of crap. Oh dear. Yeah, it goes on. It says um You have never performed a single respectable piece of music. They're just gimmicks and it's all nonsense. It's not music. It's not art. It's just crap. So I worked so hard writing that piece for you and you basically wiped your ass with it and then made me eat it while I sat in the crowd watching you do nothing for four hours. Honestly, and I don't say this very often, but I genuinely hope you get hit by a bus and die. And how did it make you feel uh, receiving that... um what sounds like a threat upon your life. Like it sounds like she actually wants to run you over with a bus. Well, the fact that she had such an emotional reaction to it, it's well, it just showcases just how much of an impact my performance style can have on an audience member. My later work is very different though. All artists evolve. In the 1970s, I became much more interested in technology rather than say acoustic works. With these later pieces, my work is from an entirely different line of investigation, and I do actually play the notes that were written on the score, so on this next recording, I'm performing another commissioned work by Brie McPlonk, which was a collaboration to make up for the fact that she, she wasn't happy with the first performance. On this one, we spent two years of her writing drafts and me giving feedback and then her doing revisions and me giving feedback and her doing revisions and more feedback from me and more revisions. She turned down so many other amazing opportunities to focus on mine in that time, which I really appreciate. Until finally, I performed it on an electric piano on my album, Songs for Electric Piano Unplugged. I actually have uh, my own copy of Songs for Electric Piano Unplugged here on CD. Um. Yeah, you, you can really hear my fingers dancing across the keys there, working up a stretch. No, No, sorry, sorry, Tracy, it hasn't actually started yet. That's just me trying to open the case. It's just been so long since I've had to open a CD case, so I've just forgotten. I mean, that's okay, they get the gist. Funnily enough, Bree didn't like that recording either, but I performed it perfectly, just as she instructed. I haven't heard much from Bree since then, but I do know she recently got a bus license, which is great news for her. Well, we're all upskilling at the moment, aren't we? Uh, we musicians and fans of music. Are, we're very future-focused, and the thriving and active music scene is its ready for conceptual experimental sonic explorers to grace the stage again and not play anything there as well. Yes, legacy is very important to me. So I hope that my work inspires future generations not to play a single note on piano or any instrument whenever they want. Well, that that was... Well that you can hear I was fanning out a bit. Um that's that's Tracy Orr. Like God, it was that was that was astonishing. Um we'll hear from her next episode when we sort of uh finish off uh, the subtle Sam series. Um because obviously she's got a big, big role in that. Um but just to sign off, and now therefore I'm not from the original VHS. Obscure Music History is produced by Tom Hogan. All songs from this podcast are available on Spotify and iTunes. Tell your friends you found this thing that they'd like and that they can subscribe anywhere you get your podcast from. Or for more information, including album covers or detailed biographies for each episode, visit obscuremusichistory.com.